You know, friends, there are two main lies that we have believed in this struggle against temptations. One is to think that we are the only ones that are struggling. I'm reminded of the song, Truth Be Told, by Matthew West, where he sings about one believing that everyone's life is perfect except theirs. And he keeps repeating in the, in the chorus, truth be told, truth is rarely told. We need truth to be able to overcome. Lie number two is to think that there's no point in resisting temptations. After all, I'm not the only one. These two lies are extremes of each other and they have at least one thing in common. Both are comparing standards with people. We've all fallen short and we therefore must depend on God and on each other for victory. Welcome to part three of Thriving in Temptations by Ray Pritchard. So that is my suggestion number one, memorize God's word. Number two, sing, sing, and keep on singing. You remember 2 Chronicles chapter 20, don't you? When the Ammonites and the Moanites and the Munites came up against the Jews in Jerusalem, they have a huge, enormous army. Jehoshaphat, good king, he was on the throne, but the Jews were vastly outnumbered. So they called a, a, a day of fasting and prayer, and Jehoshaphat got up and prayed that fantastic prayer to God. And the end of it was, oh Lord, we're surrounded, we're in trouble. Oh Lord, we do not know what to do, but our eyes are upon you. And the next day, the king sent the army of the Jews out to face the much bigger army of the bad guys. But God had said, stand still and you will see the salvation of the Lord. And they put the male singers at the head of the army. And the Bible says, as the male singers began to sing, praise to the Lord for his mercy endures forever. The very moment they began to sing, God sent us an ambush among the bad guys and the Moabites started killing, the Ammonites started killing the Munites until in such confusion, the bad guys ended up killing themselves and the good guys won by doing nothing more than standing still and singing the praises to God. Listen to me, it's a parable. It's a parable of the spiritual life. The devil hates it when we sing because godly music rouses our souls, lifts our hearts and restores our faith. And God's people sing together. We invade the devil's territory so if you're taking notes, write this down. Write three words. Write these three words down. Worship is warfare. Worship is warfare. Worship is spiritual warfare. When we sing, we are fighting the battle. And when we lift our voices together, we are engaging the enemy through the praises of God. Martin Luther said, music drives away the devil and makes people happy. They forget thereby all wrath unchastity, arrogance, and the like. Missionary Mary Schlosser said, quote, I sing the doxology and dismiss the devil. Ephesians 5.19 tells us, speak to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. As we do that, as you sing to me and I sing to you, as we sing together in our hearts to the Lord, we are making melody to God. We honor God and the act of our singing strengthens our brothers and sisters around us. So sing while you're in the shower, sing while you ride your bike, sing while you listen to the radio, sing while you work out, and certainly sing when you get together 
in the church and in your small groups. Go ahead, go ahead, sing out loud, drive the devil nuts. He hates the music God loves. So number one, memorize the word of God. Number two, sing, sing, and keep on singing. Number three, if we're gonna win the battle against temptation, we gotta march in tight formation. You will never defeat the devil on your own. You ever wonder why there's so many of those one another commands in the New Testament? Love one another, serve one another, encourage one another, build one another up, pray for one another, confess your sins to one another. There's so many sing to one another. Praise the Lord together with one another. Why so many one another commands? Because the Lord knows we need each other. You are stronger with me, and I am stronger with you, and all of us are stronger when we march together. So, met a young man who had just come back. He'd served in the Marines, uh, in the battle in Iraq. And he told me that he had been part of the fighting in the Iraqi city of Fallujah, scene of some of the bitterest, bloodiest, house-to-house, hand-to-hand fighting in the Iraqi war. And he had survived, not been wounded. God had miraculously taken him through all that safely. He was telling us about his experiences. Then he said, every time before we went out on patrol, because it was a dangerous, I mean, there was danger everywhere. Our sergeant always said the same thing. He said, men, remember this, two is one, one is none. If you're by yourself, you're done. Two is one, one is none. If you're by yourself, you are done. Listen to me. The devil knows that. He knows if he can get you separated, if he can get you discouraged, if he can get you to walk away from your brothers and sisters, you're easy picking, easy picking. So we got to learn to march in tight formation. You need me and I need you. We need each other. So how are we going to win this battle? We got to settle in for the long haul. God has ordained that our spiritual progress should be measured, not by huge battles won or lost, but by a thousand daily skirmishes. No one else knows about. So I thought, so I was going to tell you a little story. It's really just illustration. I want you to imagine a little, a glass jar with a screw on lid. Imagine that inside that glass jar, it's brown, it's dirty, it's filthy. And you unscrew the lid and it just smells so foul. You can hardly stand it. It's full of dirt and mud and excrement and poison and every vile and filthy thing in the world. I mean, it's just, it's just, it's crawling. It's, it's, it's almost, it feels like it's a, a jar full of, of evil. I got a question for you. How are you ever gonna make a jar filled with that kind of filth clean? Well, you really have two choices. One, you can take your hand and try to scrape out all that bad stuff yourself. There's two problems with that. Number one, you're going to get that bad stuff all over your hand. It's hard to get off. Number two, you can never get all of it out. Here's what you can do. It does work. Get yourself a hose. Hook it up to a spring of clear, cool, refreshing water. Take that hose with that clear water and stick it down into the bottom of that jar filled with all that filth. Now you turn the water up on full. What happens? As the clean water comes in, it forces out the dirt. 
It forces out the muck. It forces out all that foul smelling poison until in the end, there's nothing but clear, pure water left. As the clean comes in, the dirty must go. It is a parable of your life and mine. We are all born like that big, muddy jar. We are worse off than we know. It is the work of a lifetime to get rid of entrenched bitterness, hidden lust, hardened malice, habitual unkindness, uncontrolled tongue, a heart of envy, anger toward God, and an unforgiving spirit. How in the world are we going to clean out the muddy jar? How are we going to clean it out? Five words, only Jesus and Jesus only. Because I'm not preaching to you self-help, make yourself better. Every time you just try to make yourself better, you end up making yourself worse. It's only Jesus and Jesus only. Your love, Lord, come into me and drive out my anger. Your holiness, Lord, enter and drive out my greed. Your purity, enter and drive out my lust. Your mercy, fill my soul and wash away my envy. Your patience, come in and my impatience will vanish. Your grace, fill me within and I can forgive. You see, when we are joined with Jesus, he goes with us wherever we go. Every temptation that comes our way, every problem we face, every hard choice we must make, every sudden rush of temptation, Jesus is always with us by our side, walking with us step by step. I always think of it kind of like what we did yesterday, only with different words. Jesus said, I will never leave you. I sometimes just do that to myself to remind me, I will never leave you. When we are angry, I will never leave you. When we are unforgiving, I will never leave you. When we feel overcome with wrong desires, Jesus says, I will never leave you. And if in that moment we will come to him, we will turn to him. We will discover his power is more than enough for whatever we face. So I wrap up this way. Temptation is the common experience of the people of God. We will never escape it as long as we live in a fallen world, but God has given us everything we need to fight and win the battle every time. And that brings me back to the title of this session, Thriving in Temptations. Is that possible? Yes, yes, a thousand times yes. If we will practice forward-leaning defense, and if especially this, we will turn to Jesus and remember, he said, I will never leave you. He's there. He's ready to help us in the time of our need. What if you've fallen? Well, that's good because we've all fallen. What I mean is it's good to admit that. It's good to say that. What if you've fallen? Pick up your armor. Get back in the battle. When the day is done, you will be standing on the victory side. Stand and fight, child of God. The Lord is on your side. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, which is so clear, so honest, so practical, so real. Father, we thank you that Jesus is enough and more than enough to help us when we are tempted. Help us to turn to him and find that through his power, we can be victors and more than victors through Jesus Christ, who loves us. In his name we pray. Amen. James has told us that when we are tempted, we shouldn't say that God has tempted us. So someone has brought in a question and said, in the Lord's Prayer, 
It says, lead us not into temptation. And this is Jesus uh, talking to his father. So how do you reconcile those two? Mm -hmm. That's a wonderful question. And actually, whoever asked that brilliant question, I was thinking about that. I was thinking, if I had another hour, I, I actually have a sermon called, Does God Leave, Lead Us Into Temptation? That's exactly the, the right kind of question to ask. Let me tell you what I think that petition from the Lord's Prayer means. You really can't, you can't, uh, it's really a two-part petition. Lead us not into temptation, but what? Deliver us from evil. Or the modern translations, a lot of them say, from the evil one, meaning from Satan's power. I think you have to take those two those two petitions together. Lord, I am weak. That's what we're really saying. Lord, I'm weak. Lord, I'm not as strong as I think I am. Lord, I'm not as strong as my friends think I am. Lord, if you don't help me, I am going to fall today. So Lord, I'm depending upon you to lead me so that I do not fall into the hands of the devil. Lord, be with me because if you are not with me, I will certainly fall. That is a, David, that's a very short answer to the question. It's a, I, I'm just asking, what is Jesus teaching us here? He's teaching us that when we pray, it's okay to say, I'm weak because we are weaker than we know. And we need the Lord Jesus more than we realize. When we, when we pray, lead us not into temptation. What I'm really saying is, Lord, if you leave it to me, I'm going to fall into temptation in about five minutes. So, Lord, lead me in a path where I won't fall. That's a prayer God is always pleased to answer. Awesome. Here's another question. I mean, you, you did give us that story of that young man that memorized, you know, Psalm 119. And um, definitely there's a place of God's word in our lives. And, um, you know, earlier on, I was telling uh, the friends that were here in the morning, the need to attend the Bible Institute, you know, to get God's word and soak yourself in God's word. But oftentimes you, you do encounter, you know, people that have gone through Bible training, Bible school, they know the scriptures, they can teach them very well, but then their life is, is so far from the book that they read and the book that they teach, you know, where does the disconnect come in and how do I avoid that? Even after memorizing so many verses, how do I avoid having all this in my mind, but my life, you know, is so different from, uh, you know, having the word in me. How do you let, me, let me, let, let me, get that wonderful question. Let me go back to that story I told because that young man was raised by missionary parents and he had been a part of a certain youth program where that's popular around the world that emphasizes scripture memory. So he had already memorized, you know, I, I'm sure, several hundred verses of the Bible over all of his life. And it had, it had not rescued him in the moment of temptation. All I can say is this, that it is one thing to get the word into your head, right? It's another thing to get the word into your heart much more difficult actually it, it's really just a matter of mental mental agility to memorize this word and that word and this phrase and that phrase it is something else completely to say lord what are you saying to me how can this word which is up here now become the guiding principle of my heart and 
I, I've always looked at the, that story that I told, which is totally, totally true. And I do hear from that young man three or four times a year. I think he would say, I think his answer to that very good question would be, I had it in my head. I didn't have it in my heart. God had me, God had to bring me through repeated failures to the place where I was desperate enough that the word could really change me. Um, I'm all in favor of scripture memory. What I'm in favor of even more is a sense of desperation. Um, God, please, God help me. God deliver me. The Lord, the Lord draws near to those who are desperate in spirit. I, I really think this, this is what happens. David, when you talk to a preacher, you get the answer goes off in so many different directions. But okay, I'll just say this, then I'll stop. What did Jesus mean when he said, Blessed are the poor in spirit? That's what he's talking about. That the poor in spirit, those who are so desperate that if God doesn't help them, they are sunk. Um, I mean, if you said to me, Ray Pritchard, are you desperate in spirit? Are you poor in spirit? The, the honest answer would be sometimes I am. Not as much as I would like to be, but every spiritual advantage in my life has come in those moments when I was poor in spirit. I think that challenge I gave to the young man, it wasn't just, uh, wasn't just a mental challenge of 176 verses. It's that he was so desperate that that word that he memorized up here went directly to his heart and completely changed his life. Oh, wow. Thank you very much. Here's the last one for you, Ray. And um, I'm, I'm just going to, it's a very long one, but I'm going to paraphrase it. The question that this person has says, you know, if God gives us the ability to resist temptation and we are able to overcome the temptation, then why does the temptation still come in? And maybe let me combine this with, with, with something else. Someone like you, probably at your age, you know, in your Christianity, you've been a Christian for quite some time, you've undergone temptation. And obviously you've written so many books and uh, pastored for so many years. Do you still undergo temptation, even after you've overcome so many temptations? There are, there are times, David, when, when I... I stand in front of the mirror and I look in the mirror and I go, what is wrong with you? What is wrong with you? You know better than that. You've been a Christian 50 years. You know better than that. Why did you say that? Why did you do that? You knew that was a stupid thing to do. Why would you, why would you say that and hurt somebody you love? Uh, all I can say is this, that this has been my experience. 50 years now, I've been a Christian. I think the nature of temptation changes over the years. The fact of temptation, the reality does not. What bothered me 40 years ago may not bother me the same way today, but temptation never leaves me. I really meant it when I said it that if you ever come to the place where all your temptations are gone, sit back and relax, you've just shown up in heaven. Between now and then, we are going to struggle. Let me say this, you're not a bad person because you're tempted, you're a human person because you're tempted. How you respond 
it makes all the difference. This series you're listening to are messages done during camp in the cloud. We now have a new podcast we've dubbed Cabin Devils. It is a program by Camp in the Cloud. Check it out by following the link in the description to this podcast. It happens every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, 9 p.m. East African time. Join us every evening of these days to hear from God's word as we discuss relevant issues.